Well, please take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. You know, whenever you consider ministry and the work of God, especially if you're going into the ministry, you always go back to the book of Acts, always, because that's where everything began. So tonight, I'd like us to go back to where the church started And I'd like to focus our attention tonight on one particular aspect of that beginning. And that is a promise that God has given to us and one He intends for us to earnestly pray that He would fulfill. So let's read tonight this exciting passage of Scripture beginning in Acts 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and let me just stop and say, Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. Last night I spoke about the fact that Jesus uh, was alive for 40 days before he ascended into heaven. Okay, so Jesus dies, he resurrects from the grave. 40 days, he's seen, he goes into heaven. Okay, Pentecost is 10 days later. So a week and a half later, that's where we are. It says they were with all they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit enabled them to speak in a different language. Verse 5, And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? So it's really clear what was going on. These people were given the supernatural ability to speak in a language that was not their own. Verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. So he's talking about Turkey, and Armenia, and over in Iraq. In Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, that's all Africa, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. They were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lift up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, 
and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my spirit, and on my servants, and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and all God's people said, amen. So let's start with this amazing passage of scripture. What was going on? Well, we know that Jews from at least 14 different nations had gathered together in the city of Jerusalem. It was the year 30 A.D. And it was during the annual festival where the Jews would go up to Jerusalem three times a year. This was the second time of the year. Passover was 50 days prior. Now this is Pentecost. Or if you're Jewish, it's just called Shavuot. This was the traditional day when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. This was also an agricultural festival because it preceded the summer wheat harvest. So right after this, they began to harvest wheat. And for the next four months after Pentecost, that's all that they would be doing. They would be working in the fields harvesting the wheat. Well, this year's festival was dramatically different from any other previous year because there were a group of Jews from a specific area called Galilee. Now, that's in the northern part of Israel, about 85 miles north of Jerusalem. And these Galileans, who were followers of Jesus, the rabbi, were out in the streets and they were speaking about the wonderful works of God in not their own language. But they were speaking in foreign, recognizable languages that were not native to them. They didn't go to language school. They got up and they started speaking in these languages. And it was an obvious miracle, which for the Jews meant it was a sign from God. And so suddenly, questions started flying. Are not all these guys who speaking? I mean, these are like Galileans. How is it that we're hearing these men? How is this happening that they're speaking in our mother tongue? What does all this mean? And one guy says, these guys are drunk. And then one of the disciples named Peter stood up and spoke with a loud voice, he said, gentlemen, listen to what I'm saying. These guys aren't drunk. Check your watches. It's nine o'clock in the morning. People don't get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. But what you are seeing and what you are hearing is the fulfillment of the word of God. It was spoken in the prophet Joel in the Old Testament when he said, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. 
By the way, when did the last days begin? The last days began after the resurrection of Jesus, after the day of Pentecost. This was the beginning, you could say, of the last days. And today, we're still living in the last days. Right now, today, 2018, in the month of now March, we are living in the last days. And what God has given to us is not a promise that was fulfilled only on that one day, but it is a promise that God gives to the church throughout all of this age of grace that God promises to pour out of His Spirit upon His people. So tonight, that's what I want to talk about. And really what this is, is it's more of a Bible study approach, but the intention is for you to understand it so that you would believe it, and then you would do the most important thing, and that is respond to the truth. So a couple of questions tonight. First of all, what is meant by the outpouring of the Spirit? When it says, I'll pour out of my Spirit. Well, we know back in the Old Testament, pouring out was pictured in a variety of ways. For example, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He talked about water being poured out on somebody who was thirsty. How many of you have ever been so thirsty you thought you were going to die? Anybody ever experienced that? Okay. My senior year of college, I went to a military school in South Carolina called the Citadel. It's in Charleston, South Carolina. Let me tell you something. August in South Carolina is miserably hot. My senior year, I, play, I played on the varsity soccer team all four years I was at the Citadel. And my senior year, I went to my first day of practice. I got up on the scales, and I weighed 191 pounds before practice started. You say, how much did you weigh today? None of your business. But I weighed, that's what I weighed then. <laughs> When I got off the scales two hours later, when I went, excuse me, when I went back and got on the scales two hours later, I weighed 179 pounds. I lost 12 pounds of water weight. I was so thirsty that I felt like I drank the Pacific Ocean. I went to the dining hall. I, all I could do was just drink water and so sweet southern iced tea. I got and I laid on my bed and I felt like the ocean was in my stomach going back and forth. You know what I mean? I went back that afternoon for second practice of the day. I got back up on the scales. I now weighed 190 pounds. I gained all the water weight back. Two hours later, I got off the scale. I got on the scales again. I weighed 179 again. And one day I lost 23 pounds of water weight. Now in my life, there was a day in my life where I was thirsty. God promises to pour out His Spirit on people who are thirsty. That is the image that we find in the Old Testament. But when we come to the New Testament, we discover something different. And that is God is pouring out from His unlimited supply in greater abundance than He did in the Old Testament. For the teaching of the New Testament is that God gave His Spirit in the Old Testament, but what He intends to give in the New Testament is in a much greater and a much larger measure. 
And the reason we know that is because, folks, God is spreading His church throughout the world. And how does He do that? He does that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the pouring out of the Spirit is the outpouring of His working on the hearts and lives of people. So, second question. Why is this outpouring so important? Why is it that we need this? And basically, there were two reasons here. We find it in the book of Acts. Number one, it was to enable the disciples to be effective in gospel preaching. In the book of Luke chapter 24, Jesus told the disciples that he was going to send the promise of the Father upon them, and he told them to go to the city of Jerusalem. That's after he ascended into heaven, and he told them to tarry there or to wait there until they be endued with power from on high. In other words, he had told them, I want you to go out and preach the gospel, but before you start, I want you to wait. I want you to wait on something that you desperately need, and that is you need divine enablement. So what did they do? Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is what I read last night. But you shall receive power after that, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. So he said, before you witness, you wait. Before you go, you tarry. And I want you to go and pray. And they began to pray for the power and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And this is not just something that we see in the book of Acts. We see it throughout the entire New Testament. For example, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Folks, I, I know this. If I know anything, I know this. I've done the preaching long enough to know that if, if God doesn't work, nothing's going to happen. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. If there's anything that a church ought to be doing, they ought to be praying for God's power. Because folks, it's not great organization that builds a church. It's not like, you know, it's not like a cool building. It's not like we got all this stuff that really is attractive. You don't build a church by attraction. You build a church by the magnetic power of the Spirit of God that draws people to Jesus Christ. And so they knew that they needed this power. God had given them not just a great commission. He gave them a commandment to do something they couldn't do. They needed the enablement of God's power. Then secondly, they needed the outpouring of the Spirit to accomplish the work of salvation in the heart's of sinners. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Titus 3? Let me just read it to you. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on, that means poured out, same statement, which he shed on us abundantly, abundantly or richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What is he talking about here? He's talking about what happens when a person is saved. They go through an experience of the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. He's talking about the new birth. He's talking about the transformation of your heart. So that when you become a child of God, God literally transforms you from the inside out. And how does he do that? He pours out the Spirit on you as a sinner. And what he's talking about here is what happens in gospel preaching. It really is a miracle. 
Preaching is a miracle, and God intended it for it to be that way. Because when a preacher is preaching the gospel message on the outside to the ears of the hearer, do you know that there's actually another sermon going on at the exact same time? For as the preacher preaches on the outside, the Holy Spirit is preaching and working on the inside. I've never been in a church service where, where if we gathered together to pray, we didn't pray for the Holy Spirit to do His work. Why do we pray that? Because everybody understands that folks, unless God works in a human heart, people are not going to believe. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and when you were talking to them, it was like the lights were on, but nobody was at home? And it's like no matter what you do, as hard as you try to explain it to them, as clear as you try to make it, as simple as you present it, it's almost like they're not getting it. You know why? Because they're not getting it. They must be illuminated. They must be enlightened. There must be the light of the gospel shining upon them. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost because the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. So there must be this pouring out of the Spirit to accomplish the work of salvation in the hearts of sinners. Now, we must get this because the human tendency is to depend upon our own efforts, self-effort, self-work self-righteousness. But folks, God must do the work. So that leads me to the third question, and that is, should we hope then for an outpouring of the Spirit today? Now, obviously, you read the book of Acts and you're thinking, man, I wish I could go back 2,000 years ago. I mean, how many of you would like to go back to the day of Pentecost? I mean, it's not like this is happening every day. So the question is not, did it happen then? The question is, should we have a hope that there could be an outpouring in our day? So in order to answer that question, I have to kind of, we have to dig a little deeper. And the first thing is this, what was, what was going on on the day of Pentecost? I don't assume that you, we all know that. Well, I've already mentioned it, but Christ ascended into heaven after he was seen in his resurrected body for 40 days. So he died, he was resurrected, for 40 days he was seen, he goes into heaven. Now, what did he do when he got to heaven? And Acts chapter 2 actually tells us. Look at Acts chapter 2 and notice what it says in verse 31. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection, that his soul was, would not be left in hell, neither his flesh did seek corruption, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Now watch this. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, literally that's pouring out this, which you now see and hear. What's he talking about here? He's saying that when Jesus ascended into heaven, his ascension, he came into the very throne room of God and there was an inauguration and what happened was Jesus was said, was told by his father, sit at my right hand. And where do we find that? Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. When he sat down at the right hand of the father, what was this? It was the position of power and authority. And all things were placed under his feet. 
And what did the Father do? He gave to the Son the Holy Spirit as a gift. And what Jesus did on the day of Pentecost is he poured out the Spirit. And how do we know that? Because when we read Acts chapter 2, we read of this rushing mighty wind, the cloven tongues of a fire, and they were all filled with the Spirit, and they spoke in a language that was not their own. And so what God was doing on the day of Pentecost was He was giving the Spirit as the beginning of a new age of grace and the presence of the ministry of the Spirit. What did Jesus say to His own disciples? It is expedient for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Spirit will not come. What is the Spirit? It is the presence of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus could not be omnipotent. He could not be omnipresent in his human body. And so he ascended into heaven and he sent his own Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to dwell in every single believer. So the day of Pentecost was a day that teaches us what God is doing and how God works. And what we see here is a movement of the hand of God in the life of of his people. Therefore, he poured out the Spirit on this day. John Owen wrote, The outpouring and the plentiful communications of the Spirit have respect unto the times of the gospel, the gospel days in which we're living in. Another writer said it this way, the work of the Spirit in Acts was not the same as in the four Gospels, for after the ascension of Christ, a more powerful agency and influence began to be experienced in the church. The descent and the gift of the gracious operation and influence was directly connected with Christ's presence and intercession in heaven. In other words, when Christ sat down, he sent the Spirit, and that's what happened on that day. Now, What did this day of Pentecost then therefore establish for us? What happened on that day that God was showing us what he's going to do in this entire age? And that is he shows us how he works. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, said, when the Spirit is coming to the world, he's going to do three things. He is going to convict or reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what happened on that day? Exactly what he said was going to happen. For here these men spoke in their language. And by the way, why was it so important that they speak in that language? Because it was a recognizable miracle and Jews seek for a sign gift. They saw this as a sign. It got their attention. But they were not saved because they spoke in that language. They were saved because Peter preached. And what did Peter preach? He preached the gospel. He spoke about the fact that Jesus died, that they actually murdered the Messiah. They crucified him. That he rose from the dead, that he's now the Lord. And what happened to the people? They were convicted. We read in the King James, they were pricked in their heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And the Bible says on that day, 3,000 people got saved. And what do we observe here? We observe how God works in this age. And that is, he works by his spirit through the preaching of his word. This is how God works. 
It's not like we're doing something today that they didn't do back then. I believe we're doing today exactly what they did back then. There was the preaching of the word under the power of the Spirit of God. The manner in which the Spirit works is consistently the same throughout the church age, whether it's in the work of converting sinners or in the work of sanctifying His saints. This is how He works. He works by His Spirit through His Word. So this is important for us to understand because this is what He's telling us here in the beginning. So, here's a question was then the day of Pentecost an extraordinary day? Well, think about it. The day of Pentecost shows us the way in which God works. However, what He worked on that day was quite unusual. For example, when was the last time you went to church and 3,000 people got saved? I mean, wouldn't it be awesome? When was the last time people stood up and they started speaking in a language that they had not learned? So what then does the day of Pentecost teach us? Not only does he teach us how he works, but he also shows us something else. And that is, though the manner of his work is always the same, the measure or the degree of his work can and does differ. And the way we know that is in the idea of the wind. For example, what's the difference? I mean, let me, let me, let me say this way. Wind is wind, okay? I mean, there's no change in, the, in, in whatever makes up wind. I, I don't know what makes up wind, but we know it's there. We know that you can have a gentle breeze, okay? or you can have a typhoon blast of wind. Now, there's not really any difference in the wind except that the degree of the wind is different. So whether it's a breeze or whether it's a breath or whether it's a hurricane, typhoon force, wind is still wind, but the measure of the wind can be different. And what we see on the day of Pentecost and what we've experienced in church history is that the Spirit of God was given at Pentecost, but the, but the degree in which He works can and does differ. In other words, throughout the world, you can see greater outpourings of the Holy Spirit in certain areas that may not be happening in other areas. And I've seen this for years. I preach in the United States of America, preach the best sermon I can preach, preach as strong as I can, and one person gets saved. I get on a plane, fly to Liberia, Africa. Three days later, I get up and preach, and 250 people get saved. Explain that one. I preached a better sermon? No. But God, what God is doing there is not exactly the same degree. In other words, the way God works is the same, but the degree or the measure in which God works can and does differ. One, per, one preacher said it this way, His Spirit is given to all, but His working is not in all persons, nor at all times in the same measure. So here's the question now. Can we hope for a larger measure of the outpouring of the Spirit? 
So let me just stop here in this sermon and ask you a question. How many of you would say, okay, I think I understand where you're going so far. I, I do believe that the Spirit of God can be poured out. By the way, I hope you do believe that. But let me make sure I'm, you're with me. How many of you believe it? Raise your hand. I believe God can, all right, great, good. We're, we're good so far. But let me ask you a question. Listening to this sermon, how many of you would say, I would love to see a greater pouring out of the Spirit than what we're presently seeing today? How many of you would like to see that? Raise your hand. I think this is the point of it. Nobody reads Acts chapter 2 and they go away satisfied with what's going on today. You, know, you, you can't read Acts chapter 2, see 3,000 people get saved, and then go back home and say, well, you know, business as usual. God never intended for that to be that way. God intended for his people to read the book of Acts, get on our knees and say, oh, Lord, do it again. He intended for that. It's just natural for us to read Acts to see what God is doing and ask God to do it again. So the question is this, can we hope for a larger measure of the outpouring of the Spirit today? Well, consider this. First of all, when the disciples went to Jerusalem, they were not going to start something, they were going to get something. They didn't go there thinking they were going to start the church, though I believe the church began on the day of Pentecost. I believe that they went there knowing that they needed the power of God because that's what Jesus said. Go and wait until you get the power. Now, let me ask you a question. After Acts chapter 2, did they ever ask for the power again? And the answer is yes, because in Acts chapter 4, listen to what it says in verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 2 says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4 says that they were filled with the Spirit. What does that tell me? It tells me that they actually expected ongoing empowerment. So when they went there, they went there to get something, not start something. And also, they all knew what the day of Pentecost was all about because it was a Jewish festival. And by the way, all the feasts in the Old Testament were pictures, prophetic pictures of Christ. How do we know that? Because the day of Passover was a celebration of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And Paul says, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So what is Pentecost a prophetic picture of? It's a picture of the beginning of the church, that's what happened on that day, and the harvest to come. Because on the day of Pentecost, they were looking forward to the next four months when they would go out in the fields and they would harvest the wheat. And Jesus said to his own disciples, say not ye there four months and then cometh the harvest. I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white all ready to harvest. The laborers, the harvest is plentiful, plenteous, but the laborers are few. And what we see in the day of Pentecost is the promise in the birth of the church that not only would God pour out on his, his spirit on that day, but he will pour out his spirit throughout the entire church age. One writer said, there's no more mischievous and misleading theory 
nor any more, anything more dishonoring to the Holy Spirit than the principle that because the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, that we have no need and no warrant to pray for greater outpourings of the Spirit of God. We need to pray. So that leads to this. Do we have any evidence of this in church history? So we see on the day of Pentecost what God did. We get all that. But what about church history? This is 2,000 years later. Can we go back specifically and look in church history and say, yes, there have been incredible outpourings. And the answer to that is absolutely, because historically what we call an outpouring of the Spirit is we call it a revival. And we go back in church history and we see it, and I'm not going to take the time to read a bunch of quotes I have here tonight. But church history has shown over and over and over that God does unusual things. Okay, now I'm going to give you one illustration and it's an experience that I was a part of, that your pastor was a part of, in the summer of 1993. Your pastor was the camp director at Northland Camp and Conference Center from 1982 to 2000. I became the camp director in 2002 and had to clean up all of his mess. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I became the camp director in 2002 and then I finished in 2011. So I was there nine years. Now, so I was at Northland Camp for over 30 years. And, you know, I, we saw God do a lot of things. But I have never seen what God did in 93 ever before or ever after. The summer of 1993, we had two weeks of teen camp. The first week we had 550 teens. The second week we had 450 teens. That summer, God unusually worked, and we had a number of even our camp counselors get saved early in the summer, and so we just had them give their testimony. Nothing fancy. They just stood up, told their story of how God saved them. That first week of 550, I had one of our camp counselors stand up, I think maybe the third or fourth night, and just share his testimony of how God saved him. When he was finished giving the testimony, I had the entire group bow their heads and close their eyes, and I asked, how many of you would say you're just like this counselor and you need to be saved? That's the way I gave the invitation. Immediately, 80 teenagers stood up and went out. 80. 80. 80 kids got saved. And that week, we saw 150 teenagers get saved. The next week, we did the exact same thing, the exact same testimony, and about 80 teenagers went out the next week. The exact same thing happened, and that week we saw 120 teenagers saved. In two weeks, we saw 270 teens saved. Now, I just want you to know, I, I can speak with authority because I was there 30 years. We never saw it before. And we've never seen it since. Now, we've seen God do great things. We've had the same preachers before and the same preachers after. And you know what? It didn't happen with the preachers. But I can tell you this, and I could say a lot, but I will simply say this, that God in His mercy and His power blew the wind that week 
a little stronger than he had any of the other years. And do you know what? God moved. And I have seen it in my own eyes. I have observed the moving of God in unusual ways beyond the normal way. And it's not that the normal way is bad. Because folks, we're not going to we're not going to trash talk the wind, whether the wind is like a typhoon or a gentle breeze. It's still wind. That's why we're to rejoice whether one person gets saved or a thousand people get saved. We're supposed to rejoice. But it's in our hearts to say, oh Lord, do it again. God, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So let me finish with this. So what am I supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? One preacher said it this way, it is ridiculous for man to say that he will do nothing because God does everything. We have a responsibility and we know exactly what we're supposed to do. We are to do what the disciples did. So as we finish, would you go back to Acts chapter 1 and let's see what they did before the Spirit of God came with great power. Acts chapter 1, Jesus had told them to go to the city of Jerusalem, tarry there until they be endued with power from on high. And what did they do? Verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, about a half a mile walk. And when they were come, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. That's, by the way, Jude, the author, the writer of the book of Jude. Now, stop there. Who are these guys? You all know who they are. Who are they? They're the 12 disciples. Verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And who else was there? With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. So they go back to the upper room and for the next 10 days, what did they do? They prayed. Have you ever prayed for 10 days? You ever been in a 10-day prayer meeting? Okay. You ever been in a one-day prayer meeting? You ever been in a one-hour prayer meeting? Well, let me tell you what happens when you pray a lot. The more you pray, the more you pray. And the more you pray, the more you become earnest about what you're praying about. Now, folks, if you pray for 10 days, by the way, what do you think they were praying for? What do you think they prayed for? Their grandma's tooth. Okay. Now, please don't get me wrong. You can pray for grandma's tooth. What do you think they prayed for? They prayed the way you're supposed to pray, and that is you're to ask God to do what he promised. For prayer is laying hold of the promises of God. And what did God tell them to do? He said, go and wait, and that waiting was not napping, okay? It was waiting before God in His presence in prayer, and they waited on the Lord and prayed 
that God would fulfill his promises. By the way, where did Peter come up with the idea this is spoken of Joel? You know what I think they did? I think that during their waiting, okay, they read scripture. How many of you have ever prayed and your mind wanders? You think about all the other stuff you got to do. How many of you have ever done that? Okay. How many of you have ever prayed and you were like Peter, James, and John, and you fell asleep? Anybody ever done that? Okay. So what do you do when you pray and you're having a hard time staying focused? You read your Bible. You know what I think they did? I think they sought the scriptures for the promises of God, for the pouring out of the Spirit, and they read Joel and they said, here it is. And they prayed that God would do what he said in his word so that when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he said, guys, these people aren't drunk. You know what this is? This is what God said he was going to do. He was going to pour out of his spirit. In 1959, on the 16th of December, at the age of 59 years old, the famous preacher D. Martin Lloyd-Jones addressed a conference on the subject of revival. In his appeal to pray for revival, he quotes a famous theologian named George Smeaton, and he said this, as to the peculiar method of praying, we may say that in every season of general awakening of the Christian community, waits just as they waited for the outpouring of the Spirit with one accord in prayer and supplication in the interval between the Ascension and the Pentecost. In other words, it's during this prayer meeting. No other course has been prescribed and the church of the present has all the warrant she has ever had to wait, to expect, and to pray. What are, you, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to get on our knees and pray till he comes. Now, it's been my experience in, in ministry, and I've, I've watched it now for 38 years. And I'm, I'm going to back up. I've watched it now for probably about 42 years. And my experience is that churches lack power because churches lack prayer. It's that simple. And when you find people who are serious about praying, you also have churches that experience the power of God. And I believe that there's an outpouring of the Spirit, and I believe we're to pray. And we're not to be unhappy or discontent with what God is doing today. But it's like the song. There shall be showers of blessing sent from the Father above. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of God. Showers of blessings, showers of blessings, we plead. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers, we plead. Is there an outpouring of the Spirit? Absolutely. So let us pray till He comes. Would you bow your head with me, please, as we pray tonight? If the Holy Spirit tonight is touching your heart, if he's moving on you tonight, I'm going to ask our pianist to come and just play a very simple hymn. In fact, is just play that song, There Shall Be Showers of Blessing. And I want to urge you tonight to pray. I'd like to open up the altar here at the front for God's people, if God has spoken to your heart, to come and pray. And say, Lord, I pray for the power of your Spirit.
on my life, on my witness, on our church, on our pastor, on our ministries here. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. It's not our great wisdom. It's not our great abilities that God works. It's His power. We need God's power. Your church needs God's power. So I'd like to invite you to come. Would you pray?